0: In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Shinarib, king of Assyria, attached attached all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the laundress field, Eliakim, son of Hezekiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Azab, the recorder, went out to him. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Azaria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look. I know that you are dependent on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we depend on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar. Come now, make a bargain with my master the king of Azaria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of a master's officials, even though you would depend on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against his country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to his servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander replied, was it only to your master and you that your master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall, who like you would have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king, the king of Azaria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given in the hand of the king of Azaria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Azaria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. And each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree. And drink water from your own cistern, until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let like Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their hands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpeth? Where are the gods of Sepharia? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand?
1: But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophets, Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says: This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moments of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that He will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. These words with which the underlings of the king of Azaria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Azaria had left Lakish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. This is God's word.
2: Sam, Liz, uh, thank you very much. Uh, evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt, if we've not met. And um, stick with it. It's a bit of a weirdy reading, but stick with it. Uh, I think it'll make sense and um, it'll do us much good. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, and then we'll jive, dive in together. a great God and Father. Nations rise and fall, and the empires which dominate this world rise and they fall. But some things do not change. The heart of a man and a woman does not change dramatically. Human nature is the same today as it was a thousand years ago. And more wonderful than that, you do not change. Father, this evening we pray, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the issue. It's quite a simple one, really. What will you trust? Who will you trust? We're going to spend a month on that in these chapters, Isaiah 36 to 39. What will you trust? Not just with your words, but with your heart, with your actions, with your decisions. Who will you trust? William Joyce. In September 1939, uh, the world is at war, and uh, William Joyce, uh, this man, that's William Joyce. It's not Adolf Hitler, but who do you think he likes? Mm-hmm. Um, in a looky-likey competition, they'd do pretty well. That's William Joyce, and he started broadcasting uh, in 1939. He's an Englishman, uh, but living in Germany, and a big fan of Hitler, as you can guess. And um, so he starts broadcasting propaganda for uh, the Nazi regime. Every broadcast would begin in his clipped English accent. Germany calling, Germany calling to the British Isles. And uh, then he'd deliver a mixture of news Real news that he'd gleaned or the, the, the regime had gleaned from uh, neutral countries and then newspapers, uh, and then sort of great exaggeration of uh, German victories. Germany calling, Germany calling to the British Isles. Now, the, the, the Brits tried to mock him, particularly the BBC described him as Lord Haw Haw because he was so posh. Oh, uh, here it is again, Lord Haw Haw. But every night, Six million Brits tuned into his radio station. And in an average week, 18 million Brits. Not everyone every night. But 18 million would listen to him once a week. He was a big problem. And particularly 1939 into nineteen—excuse me early part of 1941, he was persuasive as Nazi forces swept through Poland and then through the whole of Scandinavia, and then in 1940 decimated France. And there's William Joyce broadcasting every night into your house, and he's saying, oh, the people of England will curse themselves for having preferred ruin from Churchill to peace from Hitler. Why not trust... Oh, well, I'll stop that. But why not trust Adolf Hitler? Why would you follow Churchill, the whiskey guzzling, cigar chomping, bovine looking, decadent liar? So you have a choice. You've got him or, or uh, Churchill. Looking sad, because it wasn't going so well at that point. In 1940, who would you trust? Well, I don't know. After Dunkirk, who do you trust? Well, we're losing. During the Battle of Britain, and when London is being bombed, who do you trust? As your house is collapsing, and Lord Haw Haw is broadcasting every night into your household, you will lose. Just make peace with Adolf Hitler. Overthrow the bovine-looking Churchill. He's only interested in drinking his scotch and smoking his cigars. Oh, in 1940, early 41, it's quite a tough decision, actually. Who will you trust? Who will you trust? That is the question in Isaiah 36 to 39. Actually, It's the question of the whole book of Isaiah. We're jumping into uh, the middle section, but let me explain. There is a reason for that. Uh, The bulk of Isaiah is poetry, um, but here is the narrative in these chapters, 36 to 39. The first 35 chapters and these four that we're going to look at in the next month, they're all concerned with Assyria, the dominant power of the age. We may even have a map. There we've got a map. Uh, The the greeny is that green? What do we call it? That's Assyria. So so, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, uh, and Syria, obviously uh, Syria. Uh, All that, all those countries, if you can sort of envisage them, that is the global empire of the day. And you've got this little blob down in the bottom corner. You see Judah? Massive empire, and there's you. For 35 chapters, Isaiah has been preaching to the people of Judah, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? In in beautiful poetry, but that's what we mostly had for the first 35 chapters. And then, let's end the poetry. Let's look at what happened. 36 to 39. Who will you trust? And crucially, the king of the day, Hezekiah, trusted the Lord. And Assyria lost. I mean, it's quite a long time, 35 chapters. It builds up to this moment, and then you lose. And really, it's the basis for the remainder of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 to 66. So uh, given that you've seen what the Lord did when you trusted him, keep on trusting him in the future. So it is the heart, the sort of the, the hinge of the whole book of Isaiah, these four chapters. Let's say Hezekiah is sort of the hero uh, in one sense. Um, he, uh, you may or may not know, oh, you got uh, in the Old Testament, the great kings, David... Solomon. Hezekiah. He gets more airtime than anyone else, apart from David and Solomon. They're the big two. Then Hezekiah is number three. He's the bronze medal winner of kings in the Old Testament. He gets 11 chapters. Not bad, more than I've got in the Old Testament. So, you know, he's um, he's a reasonably big hitter. Where Where are we in history? He becomes king. Can we have that map back? That'd be good. He becomes king in 715 BC. Seven years earlier, in 722 BC, so earlier, Assyria had come in and taken, and conquered the whole of the north, Israel. So uh, when you see uh, Samaria and that whole... So Judah's neighbor, Israel, also God's people, conquered. So here is the shadow that just looms over the whole of life. You think the papers never escape anything but Brexit? Brexit. Well, if you're around in the early 8th century, the 700s, you get nothing but Assyria. Nothing but Assyria. And it's not just, well, who knows what will happen with Brexit. It's invasion. Who will you trust? And really, the question of 36 to 39 is, well, actually, we get it said explicitly by the, uh, the spokesman. The king of Assyria, we may even have him. Uh, we've got Assyria, we've got him, um, uh, Sennacherib, we've got a little picture of him. There we go. Old man with the beard. Um, you can go and read all about it in the British Museum. They've got loads of uh, Assyrian uh, friezes, uh, but there he is. So Sennacherib, he actually invades Judah in 701 BC. So here's your choice. Who will you trust? The all-powerful, all-conquering, the king, the great king as he calls himself. Or will you trust the Lord? That's your choice. So here we are. And uh, Sennacherib, he's he's threatening Jerusalem. That's uh, what we're told is happening. But the question, really, of the text comes up in chapter 36 and verse 4. It's the field commander, the the, the herald, the spokesman uh, for King Sennacherib. He stands in front of the whole city and says in a very clear voice, Verse 4. Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? That's the question of the text. I've scribbled down some of the references. Five times in this chapter, you get it. On what are you basing this confidence, this dependence, this trust of yours? Verse 4, verse 5, not on the sheets, not sure why. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 15. Who are you trusting? What is your confidence in? Who are you going to depend upon? That, that is the question thrown up by the text. Now, that's the thing over the whole of chapters 36 to 39. What will you trust? The, the acute, the sharpening of it in here, in, in tonight's text, and the, the sort of battle with Sennacherib rumbles on. We'll look at it again next week. But the acute question for acute, acute question tonight is, who will you trust? when Christianity is mocked? What will you do when your faith is sneered at? That's Isaiah 36. Let's read. Chapter 36 and verse 1. So here we are. It's the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign. So he becomes a king in 715. Here we are in 701 BC. Sennacherib. Can we call him a different name? Can we just call him Senna? How about that? Uh, we just get Senna. Just call him Senna. Um, Sennacherib Senna. Senna king of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Golly. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lashish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper Pool on the road to the Launderer's Field. Okay, okay. Now you can read all about this in the British Museum. Uh, So um, one of the tablets there, the friezes, will tell you. Here's Sena, Sennacherib. Here's his record of what took place. As for Hezekiah the Judean, I besieged 46 of his walled, fortified cities and the the surrounding smaller towns, which were without number. I conquered them all. I took over 200,000 people into exile, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, cattle, and sheep without number, and counted them as spoil. Ha, <laughs> ha, um, Doesn't say that last bit. But you know, that's the, that's the gist. Oh, I conquered 46 cities. It's already gone. Lashish was meant to be the, the, sort of the strongest military base apart from Jerusalem. And that's gone. So you get the scene? This country's been invaded. Judah's been invaded, and no one can resist Sennacherib. He's conquered everyone before him. 200,000 have been deported... You know, your cousins, your family, your brother who married someone who lived in Lashis, they've all been dragged off into exile in Assyria. Who will you trust? At that point, no one can resist this man, this king. Who will you trust? The commander, we're told, uh, this spokesman, he stops at the aqueduct of the upper pool. That's interesting, is it? Uh, I guess he could just be threatening the water supply. More the point, if you've read through the whole of Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 7, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, useless king, useless, useless. He had met Isaiah, the prophet, at the same place, the upper pool of the aqueduct. And Isaiah had said to him, Ahaz, who will you trust? Will you trust Assyria or will you trust the Lord? And Ahaz said, "Mm, I'm trusting Assyria. I'm going to pay them a load of money so they don't invade. And Isaiah said, oh, idiot. Um, And that goes, okay. Hezekiah, your dad trusted Assyria and not the Lord. What will you do? What will you do? Okay, there's lots of stuff on the sheet. Let me try and simplify it. We're going to look at it under four headings, okay? Round one of mockery, round two of mockery, the king's response, shh. Okay, those four headings. Round one, round two, the response, shh. Okay, those are the four headings. Let's work through the text. Round one then. Uh, Chapter 36, verses four to 10. You trust old words, I guess is the the gist of it. That's what the king or the, the, uh, uh, the spokesman says. Verse four. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. I think the point is, I hear you've got this prophet Isaiah who tells you words from the Lord, and you're trusting him. (laughs) Idiots. Commander says, look, we've come with the greatest military force on the planet, and you have a few words. Who else are you going to trust? Um, uh, uh, Verse 5, on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. You do realize you had Egyptian troops at Lashish, and we've just smashed them. You think Egypt is just, oh, I'll lean on this, and the stick goes right through your hand. Ow, yeah, he's useless and beaten. We've just smashed him at Lashish. Oh, what else are you going to do? You're going to rely on your God, verse 7. Oh, look, if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord, our God. Hold on a minute. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Now, this is the subtle one, because Hezekiah, good king, Hezekiah had removed lots of altars to pagan gods, high places where you'd worship pagan gods. That's good. But here's the subtle one. Hey, look, Hezekiah, he's taken down all your religious places. And no doubt some people are thinking, yeah, maybe that was a mistake. A a mixture of lies and truth. It's nothing new. You get it all the way back in Genesis 3 with the serpent. But some things are true mixed in with lies. Maybe Hezekiah got it wrong. Maybe we can't trust Lord. Verses 8 and 9, just pure mockery. Come on then, uh, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Here's, here's how it is. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you've got 2,000 men who can ride them. How about that? I'll give you 100 fighter jets if you've got any pilots to put in them. No? No, you haven't, have you? Oh. Well, how then, verse 9, how then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? And verse 10, this has got to be a real kicker. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. God's on my side, by the way. You know, you follow, you follow what's your God called? The Lord, Yahweh. Yeah, he's with me. He's on my team. So you're stuffed. I've got a massive army that no one can resist. You're God, He won't listen to you because, you know, you're not obedient to him, and he's on my team. So who are you going to trust? You've got a few old words. Idiots. What are you doing? But what about for you and for me? Notice in this encounter, there's no fighting. No one draws a sword, no one shoots an arrow, it's just all words. But words are really intimidating sometimes, very powerful. It's a war of words. Back in 1940, yeah, you got military power, but the words to sap morale, the words that make you doubt, I don't know. Churchill talks a good game, but we keep losing. Why don't we make peace? How bad could it be? Six million Brits listening to Lord Haw oh, Those words are very intimidating when it looks like you're losing. Look, when you hear voices in the media, in your office, in your family, repeatedly knocking Mocking, sneering at Christianity, what will you do? A voice that says, so it just taught me through it. So you, you, you think, <laughs> this can't be right. You think the only way for anyone to get to heaven is to trust a man who died 2,000 years ago on a cross. Why would you believe that piffle? How do you know it's even True. Am I the only one who ever hears that? It's the mockery will come. Oh, and also sometimes preemptively. Uh, you can read this. It's pretty open. Richard Dawkins, I think he's sort of somewhat of a busted flush. Is that true? I'm not sure he's influenced. I think his star has set a little bit now. But you can read his website and uh, his strategy. Um, Here's his tactic. Okay, it's, it's in black and white on the website. Um, about how to persuade people to become atheists. Okay, here it is. Let me quote. We should go beyond humorous ridicule. We should sharpen our barbs to a point where they really hurt. Abandon the irremediably religious. Some people will never change their minds. I'm more interested in the fence-sitters, those who have never really investigated the truth of the Christian faith. Don't engage them with logic they are far more likely to be swayed by a display of naked contempt. No one likes to be laughed at. Nobody wants to be the butt of contempt. is that striking? Here's my strategy to stop people becoming Christians. And for some people who call themselves Christians, to hopefully persuade them, give it up. Don't engage on reason. Don't engage on logic. Just mock them. Laugh at them until they feel really weak. It's Much better than using your brains, says Richard Dawkins. That's how I'll win people, by mocking them. Isn't that revealing? There's a strategy. So don't be surprised that similar taunts come today. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you're here and thinking, well, maybe there's something to this Christian faith, someone will say to you, why? Well, You've started going to church. Why would you do that? Many of us who are Christians here, we know that people will say that from time to time. It's de rigueur almost to sneer at the Christian faith. Yeah, there was a bit of a fuss a few months ago. John Humphreys, um, one of the other commentators picked up on it. But John Humphreys you know, presenting Thought for the Day uh, on the Today program, Radio for introduced the Thought for the Day like this. We're now going to hear someone tell us something about Jesus and how he was very nice. I mean, how how condescending. The truth is, thought for the day is often quite bad. But um, how condescending. Someone, I can't even bother to learn their name, is going to tell us something about Jesus being nice. Very condescending. Last month, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman was on the front of Vanity Fair. Uh, big Little Lies, is that her thing, uh, coming out again. So she's on the front of Vanity Fair, the cover story. Uh, and in an interview, she said, I'm often mocked and teased for my Christian faith in Hollywood. But it's caused sort of a bit of fuss of headlines. Not because, oh, that's bad. But loads of headlines generated, Ah, quite like Nicole Kidman. And she's a Christian. Oh, that's annoying. I'll have to put her in the... Stupid box now, rather than the, I quite like her box, was the tone of it. But she said, you read it at the interview online, yeah, yeah, that's just what happens around here. You get mocked, teased for having a Christian faith. Of course you do, in Hollywood. But you don't need me to list others doing it. Many here know that. So some here who are students and have had in front of a lecture hall A lecturer just mock you. You don't believe that Christian nonsense. I mean, is that professional? I'm not sure how you're allowed to get away with that. But just mockery in front of a lecture hall feels quite lonely when that happens. Well, there are some here in in the church family who have become Christians and their spouses mock them. That's hard. Go to your little crying club at church. Go to your idiot Christians. Go on then, fill your brain with nonsense. Then please forget it when you come back home. It's hard in your family. Uh, Many of us would have known just the, you know, sometimes, occasionally, a bunch of mates. And they're all great mates. So then there's just the odd evening where, for some reason, it becomes a little bit pointed. A little bit spiteful. And you think, oh, hold on a minute. I'm feeling a bit lonely tonight. Everyone sort of ganged up on me. But don't be surprised. And who will you trust when your faith is mocked? There's other little mockery here in verse 7. It's a strange one, I think. Chapter 36, verse 7. You you say you trust the Lord. Depending, trust, same word in, 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 the, um, in the Hebrew. Uh, you say to me, oh, we're trusting, we're depending on the Lord our God. Well, he won't listen to you. Well, let me just say to one or two of them, you know that feeling. One or two of you listen to the voice which says, well, why do you keep trusting this God? I mean, you're so sinful. He must have given up on you. He won't support you. He doesn't love you. This situation you're in at the moment that life is going wrong. He doesn't care for you in that because it's your fault. It's a lie. You just need to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who died to make an end of all my sin. But the mockery will come. It'll take different forms. There's round one. You trust old words, (coughs) idiots. And just remember Mockery is not reason. Sneering is not truth. Who will you trust when the mockery comes? Round one, let's pick up the pace. Round two, ding, ding. Uh, Round two. So uh, uh, the, uh, the, the what do we call him? The herald, the spokesman, he finishes uh, speech number one. Uh, there's a little bit of response, uh, verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebner, and Joah said to the field commander, oh, look, shh, please, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew because everyone else, the whole city can understand if you speak in Hebrew. Uh, and the spokesman says, verse 12, yeah, that's propaganda. That's what we do, verse 12. The commander replied, was it only to your master and you? you that my master sent me to say these things and not to all the people sitting on the wall who, lovely, like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. That's what's going to happen to you if you trust your God and Hezekiah. Because in a siege, you're going to have nothing else left. And then two main points I think he makes really in round two. Uh, The first is, oh, look, life will be much easier if you cave in. So verse 15, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, oh, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. No, don't do that. Life will be so much easier if you cave in. Verse 16, do not listen to Hezekiah people. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Oh, then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and and drink water from your own cistern. Come, until I come and take you to a land like your own, a a land of corn, a land of new wine, a land of bread and, and vineyards. Wow. If you're listening, you think, well, that sounds good. It's like a golden age. It's like everything I can eat. So I can trust Hezekiah and I drink my wee and eat my excrement or I can trust you, and I get loads of great food. Wow! We an excrement are a night out at a top restaurant. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to trust? I mean, it's all quite persuasive, isn't it? And then I guess eighteen to twenty. Look, resistance is futile. He just, just tries anything. There's no consistent tactic to the mockery. It's just, let's just try all sorts of things. Resistance is futile, really, is the last thing. Verse 18, do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, Lord, will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad and where are the gods of Seraphim? These big cities that everyone knew in the region. Where are they? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Oh, look, resistance is futile. Strong arguments, I think. Oh, do you just have more fun if you cave in. The world will say, look, if you follow me, and if you give up on Jesus your life will be more fun. You have better stuff to eat. You just have more fun if you give up on your God and join with us. Now that has some appeal, doesn't it? I suppose I'm the only one who ever hears that voice spoken or just whispered in my own head. You'll have more fun Life will be easier if you give up on your God. And just join in. Go on. Just join in. And resistance is futile. Well, yeah, that's a common one. I've been slowly reading, I mean, I have to say very slowly reading, um, uh, this book, Homo Deus, so uh, Yuval Noah, Harari, uh, sold millions, thought all to read it. So homo deus, divine man. Uh, of course, the thesis, of, if you've read it or not, the thesis of the book is essentially, uh, we're so brilliant, mankind, look at what we've achieved, and we're just getting better and better and better. And um, you just got to throw away all your stories about gods and things like that, because we are gods. And with technology, we will become super people and conquer all sickness and conquer... We won't die in the future, because we will be gods, Controlling everything. There is sort of one little caveat in the subtitle. Uh, he, he, well, the, intra, in, the initial blurb. He does ask the awkward question also: How can we protect this fragile world from our own destructive power? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the question, isn't it? Technology just goes up and up and up and up and up, always. Morality does not. Morality in history ebbs and it flows. how can you resist? We're just becoming so brilliant. You've got to, just secular man is so wonderful. You can't resist. Just throw away your old stories. It's a timeless sort of narrative. 1956, uh, Nikita Khrushchev addressed uh, uh, the United Nations, a room full, it was was an anti-meeting just before the whole gathering of the United Nations, not the one where he banged his uh, shoe on the table, Um, but he addressed a whole room of Western ambassadors So the Soviet leader, Nikita Khrushchev, famously said, whether you like it or not, history is on our side and we will bury all of you. He didn't do that. Slightly threatening, of course. History is on our side. We will bury all of you. It's a timeless claim. 1940, Lord Haw-Haw says, history is on Hitler's side. No. 1956, Khrushchev can say, history is on the Soviet Union side. Uh, No. Back in 701, the spokesman can say, history is on a serious side. No. 2019, Yuval Noah Harari can say, History is upon the secularism side. All faith must go. No. Just because someone boasts, resistance is futile. You will lose. It doesn't make it true. But the boasts will come. Who will you trust? Round one. Round one, you just got old words. Round two, you're a bunch of losers, The king's response, and two little things briefly before we finish. The king's response, here's uh, Hezekiah then in uh, chapter 37. What does he do? He gets quite a lot. Very right. Chapter thirty-seven. When King Hezekiah heard all this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator; Shebna, the secretary; the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And they told him, "This is what Hezekiah says: This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there's no strength to deliver them." Well, that's a miserable picture. Verse four. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. So he gets a few things right, Hezekiah. He goes to the temple to pray. I am the king, but I'm going to God's place to throw myself on his mercy. And while I'm there, look, can you lot, my lieutenants, can you go to Isaiah and say, Isaiah, you're God's prophet, you pray. Maybe God will have a word and tell us what to do. The diffidence, what do you think, verse 4? It it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words. Well, I guess Hezekiah knows he's not been perfect. A few years earlier than this, he, he also tried to buy off Assyria. He'd stripped the gold from the temple in Jerusalem and said, I'm going to give all this gold to the king of Assyria. Well, that's not trusting the Lord, but trusting Assyria. So a few years earlier, he had bogged it. So I think here he's saying, I know I've made mistakes, but who knows, even at this stage, if we trust the Lord, maybe we'll be okay. We'll see in a few weeks in particular, uh, by the time you get to chapter 39. Hezekiah is good, but he's not perfect. But he is in part, and he is here in chapter 37. A little bit of a a shadow of his descendant, Jesus Christ, who'd come from that line of David. Generations later, there's a better king in Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus faced his own little, not little, but his own replica of this event. You read it in Matthew's Gospel or Luke chapter 4. And the devil comes to Jesus after he'd been in the wilderness for 40 days and nights and puts to him some pretty compelling arguments. Well, you're God, but why don't you turn these stones into bread? You can do that. You're, you're God, you're God the Son, and when you have a father who loves you, why don't you just throw yourself off a cliff and angels will catch you? I mean, the reasonable arguments. Oh, look... Resistance is futile, to be honest, Jesus. Why don't you just get over it with, get it over with now and bow down and worship me now, rather than endure all the pain you've got to go through? I mean, not not unreasonable arguments. There's sort of truth and lies all woven in together there. And Jesus said, no, no, I'll trust my father. I trust the true and living God. Oh, Jesus, life will be easier if you cave in. Life will be easier if you stop saying you're God. Jesus, resistance is futile. You'll just be mocked by all sorts of crowds. What Jesus was, of course he was mocked. But all the mockers were wrong. Because he was right. And he died and he rose. And he reigns. And he'll return. And you can trust him. Because here is the God himself entering into history to say, here I am. Trust me. You really can trust me. Not empty words, but words spoken by the God who entered into our world. Jesus was mocked, but he was right. And he reigns. And he'll return. And you can trust him. That's the response of the true king. You can follow him. And then last little thing to say briefly, because we, we'll pick up from here next week. But chapter 37, six to the end. Um, uh, well, let me put it up verse 5. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. These words which the underlings, the lads, the, 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 the teenagers, idiots in other words, these, these sort of small children, don't, don't be afraid of these words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. What's going to happen is this: The king of Assyria, he'll hear a certain report, I'll make him want to return to his own country, and when he goes to his own country, I'll have him cut down with the sword. Well, when the, the spokesman, the field commander, heard that the king of Assyria had withdrawn from Lashish well, and gone to fight somewhere else, where well, he also left. It's a funny old conclusion. All these words, all this mockery to, you know, big old chapter of mockery from uh, the spokesman of the king of Assyria. And God just says, shh, and flicks him away. And that's it. I mean, once it's, it's just, can you imagine, uh, I don't know if you like such things, but if you, if you like the sort of Marvel world and all that stuff, you know, 22 films, uh, and then you get to the last one, the Avengers Assemble. Uh, I, I've seen them all, I have like a teenage son. Um, uh, you get to the last one, and there's sort of, you know, the climactic battle, and all the baddies just go, oh, we're really intimidated by you, we're off. Right. That's it. What? Or a World Cup final, you know, you've worked through all the phases, and they they have the national anthems, and then um, one team looks at the Brazilians and just goes, uh, oh no, you're really intimidating, but we're off. What? Can you imagine? Or in the House of Commons, Theresa May stands up to give her final speech at Prime Minister's Question Time. (laughs) Um, And she just goes, shh. And goes, she said, look, it's my last day. But what I'd really like you to do before I go is all vote for my um, bill on, uh, on Brexit. <laughs> and everyone goes. <laughs> That's what we got here. Oh, the Lord, you trusted these old words. You cannot defeat me. Resistance is futile. Come and join me or have more fun. Why are you being such idiots? Who are you trusting in? And we'll get more words from the Lord next week in chapter seven. But here, that's it. Jerusalem's never invaded. People never eat their poo in their way. All empty words. La, 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 la. All the mockery. Ra la, 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 The Lord doesn't need to respond at length. He just says, When life is hard, for you and for me, it's very easy to listen to reasons that we cannot trust the Lord. When our faith, if you're a Christian here tonight, or even if you're thinking it through, when the Christian faith is mocked, very easy to go, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is a bit silly to trust Jesus. No, it's not. Don't confuse Mockery and sneering for reason and truth and in Jesus' love. Because he died, he rose, he reigns, he'll return. You can trust him. Let's pray together. taunt is. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? Our great God, our heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who can give us every confidence that we need. We have one who is absolutely trustworthy. We have one when we see his life, he's not inconsistent. He's not uncertain. We have one in him who, even though we are fallible and weak and our Faith goes up and it goes down, and we have struggles and we have doubts. In Christ is one who was firm and who trusted you. Thank you that He's our king. And Father, many will be the sneering and the mockery, oh, armed for Christians elsewhere, the violence in this world. We will be mocked, but if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're right. Father, on what do we base this confidence of ours? We base it upon Jesus. Thank you that he entered our world. Thank you that we can know him. Would we trust him? We pray it in his name. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing of the confidence we have, even when it doesn't seem right, even when we seem very alone. It's a confidence built upon the events of history and the life of Jesus Christ.